you'll turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians, we're going to read chapter 1. Verses 3 through 8. Right, so Colossians is a letter about all, all about how do you follow Jesus. Uh, this part, you've, you've heard the good news and this, this whole thing is new. It's about new life uh, in Christ. And so Colossians is, is for both new believers, people who are just getting started and trying to figure this thing out. And it's also for those who've been following Jesus for a long time because it's a good reminder. And it, it's teaching. This is discipleship. What, what happened when you met Jesus? That's what, that's what Colossians is explaining, especially in chapter 1. So let's, let's read it. We will pray and, and pray that the gospel ministers to our hearts today. So hear God's word. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy. He has spoken to you and I today in love. Let's pray. Now, Father, I pray as we talk about uh, the gospel, that Jesus, you would bear fruit in us today, that our love for all the saints would grow, our faith would increase in strength, and we would better understand how, how secure and unshakable our hope is waiting for us in heaven. So Holy Spirit, come and teach us, pour out more of the love of God into our hearts so that we would leave here overflowing with, with gratitude and thanks um, because that's, that's all we can say to the gifts you keep on giving is thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So if I were to ask you what in the world is wrong with the world, <laughs> with people, you know, what, what needs fixed? What, what, you know, that, that's the question that always happens at these pageants and, and public events. What is wrong with the world these days? You think about how crazy the news are. Right? What would you say? You know, one of the surprising things that the scriptures say that is wrong with people in particular uh, is it's surprisingly simple is we don't say thank you. And this is Romans chapter 1, that it says, we don't say thank you to God, our creator, that although people know God, they did not honor him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. <laughs> to, to say thank you to God is, is part of what Paul is saying, and I want to show you what the gospel is changing of is wrong with us, that we don't know how to say thank you to God. It's awkward, it's, it's strange, it's foreign, it's new, right? I mean, just imagine you, you did something amazing and, and you're, you got some airtime on TV, C CNN, Fox News wants to talk to you. Let's say both because you're really cool, <laughs> right? And you ask that question, what's wrong with the world today? And, what, and you stand up and say, um, 
instead of blaming a particular political party or poverty or people just being irresponsible in general or like the Pharisee we heard earlier, well, they just stink, you've got to be like me. Right? You say, well, people don't say thank you to God who made us, who keeps us alive, and gives us every good gift we have. Right? See, Paul is... is going to talk a lot about thank you and thanksgiving in this letter, and he's, he's thanking God for the, the Colossians, and part of what the gospel does is it just teaches you how to say thank you. Teaches you a lifestyle of gratitude, right? And, and there's parts of this that we know instinctively, right? There's a science of gratitude. You can read psychological journals. If, if you are intentional about cultivating thanks, uh, it'll change you. It'll make you happier, You'll be less depressed. You'll be more fun to be around. I mean, this is what we teach our kids. We teach them to be thankful. All right? Thankful for that great Christmas gift, but also be thankful when someone holds the door for you, right? It's just noticing people and not taking people for granted. Because a thank you is a relational word, a phrase, that expresses love and connection. It's personal. But when it, we get how that works with people, but when it comes to thanking God in our secular age, um, it gets more awkward and difficult. I mean, think about your conversations with your friends at school or coworkers. I mean, nobody, sometimes we just say it and we don't even pay attention. Somebody will say, oh, thank God the Patriots lost. Right? Sorry, Norm. <laughs> right? Or the Cowboys. <laughs> Right, but when it's connected to sports or something that doesn't really tell me how to live my life, it's not, it's not as offensive. But when you say that the way to be fully human, uh, the way to, to please God, to flourish, to change, you have to say thank you to a particular God uh, for a particular thing, for God's personal loving attention and care, to say thank you, right, that gets a lot more uncomfortable because we like God, but we don't want to get him to, too close. Um, Right, so Paul's going to teach us to be thankful and why we ought to be thankful. That's part of what this opening prayer is about. He's going to express thanks, he's going to model thanks, and then he's going to show the Christians uh, what has happened and why that ought to make them thankful. Right, G.K. Chesterton, a Christian author, says this really well. He says, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness that is doubled by wonder. Right. He's, he's meditating on Romans. Of, to say thank you to God is much more profound than we, we take it for granted. So, how are we going to dive into this? This short passage is going to give us some tests. How do I know that Jesus is working in my life, how the gospel is coming to me? It's, it's going to be modeled in the way you say thank you. And, and it's gonna, just going to ask you those questions. What are you thankful for? And the first point if you're following along here, it's, it's to be thankful for God's work in other people. Be thankful for others. That's what Paul does. He is thankful for the Colossian Christians. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. It's such a weird way for us to think. But Paul is writing in this letter and saying, I am thankful to God for you, and he's never met them before. Right? He's praying for people he's never met. He's celebrating the work of God in someone else's life. And this is what the gospel starts to do. It starts to make you more aware of other people. 
Uh, this is pushing back against our sinful nature, our selfishness. If sin, sin is me being curved in on myself and thinking only of me, modeled by the Pharisee, thank God on me, <laughs> and not like those other people. Right? If sin wraps me around me, Jesus, when he changes people, starts to make you thankful for other people. He gives you a love for all the saints, and Paul's modeling that when he says, I thank God for your faith in Christ Jesus, even though we've never met. Right. And so this is, this is part, it's, it's simple but really difficult to do. It's to be thankful that God is changing someone else. I mean, just think about your prayer life and the list that you go down. How long is it before you get to other people? I mean, and this is so counterintuitive because what Paul is painting the church as is a place that loves people who are loved by Jesus more radically than any other place. I mean, we love people even though we don't know them. Love for all the saints. So like Sartre, the, the philosopher, if you don't even know who he is, but one of it, he wrote a book about, about hell, and he said, hell is other people. I can think of nothing worse than being trapped in a room with other people. Right? He needs a hug. <laughs> but Paul, flowing out of the gospel, says, I thank God for people, for other followers of Jesus. I thank God for other saints, for other people who do not yet have this Christian thing figured out, they're, they're saved by grace alone, they're sinners, but I'm, I am glad Jesus is working in them. And if you have never experienced that kind of community, that kind of gratitude of another human being for you, this is, this is life-giving. It's like water in the desert. But that, it's supposed to be the norm of just being grateful for other Christians. So Paul is modeling how God's grace affects affects the way you receive other believers, especially those you know, but also those you do not yet know. Thank God that he is working in the lives of other people. Right? To come along and say, I can't believe you too have loved Jesus. You, can't, you too cannot believe that God would forgive everything in Christ Jesus. Uh, you too have melted in tears and all that your creator was crucified for you. You too, you're my family. Right. You know, the, yesterday, uh, the pastor uh, Prakash from India, he, he is from the Dalit class in India. He is part of what's called the untouchables. Right. He said, I'm getting a warm welcome here from my American brothers, but when I go home, there are people who will not even share a glass of water. They will not even offer me a glass of water or let me into their home. So you start to see how, how this thing works, right? The, the, the gospel is making you appreciative of other people. You move towards other people. You're, you're a family now in Christ, brothers and sisters. And so if sin is me living in the claustrophobic closet of me, I'm just by myself, grace is inviting you to come out, to come out of isolation, to come into a family, to be grateful that you're not alone because it's not good for human beings to be alone. Right. So Paul to the Colossians, I am thankful for your faith in Jesus, the love you have for other Christians, and the way you live with hope. Right. I'm just glad you are you and God is working. So, it's a test. 
to ask yourself, how, how often do you think about other Christians? Uh, your, your genuine thankfulness that God is working in someone else. This is what a community of love would look like. Um, right? I mean, it's a good place to pause because when people think of church, they don't think of that. <laughs> uh, when you think of the church, what comes to mind? I mean, do you, do you find people just glad that new people come in? I mean, this really does. This, is, this was a challenge for me, even as a pastor. It forces you to slow down, to look at the people that are in this room right now, to, um, to think about their stories, to think about their sufferings, to think about their lives, to think about the way that they actually trust Jesus despite their pain, despite the rejection they've received, despite their sin. They're still going. You are still going. Right? So when, when, I pray for, when I prayed for you this week, I just said thank you. You, know, you, you show up every week as you're able and, and continue to follow Jesus, and that's encouraging one another. Right? So it's good practice. Have you told other Christians that you are thankful for them? I think this would be a helpful way to build community. Do you thank God that Someone else is here at the church, and have you actually told them in particular? All right, this is using words to build one another up. When you hear, when you see, when you experience something Jesus-like in another Christian, do you say, I am thankful for you? Some people are better at this than others because they're more extroverted. If you're an introvert, I live in the middle. Just write a card, right? You, can, you don't even have to look at them. You can hide behind the card. <laughs> but what you're doing is still building community of saying, I'm paying attention to you. I'm paying attention that God is working through you. That, that's Paul's emphasis. His focus is on what God is doing in someone else. Right? It's a thankful test. You love others differently now because of Jesus. Right? I mean, you can think about it this way. When Paul is away, I think he's in prison when he's writing this letter. I mean, there's, there's debate about where he is when he's writing these things. But uh, he is far from them, and he is spending particular time and attention to focus on the, on the Colossians. It's one of the ways you love someone. Right? You spend time thinking about what they go through. Uh, so, an example of this, I had an accounting professor in college who told, I might have told this story before, but when he was at Houghton, uh, he was there as a student, and there was this his name was Kenton, and he saw this beautiful young lady from across campus um, whose name was Barbie. Uh, this is a true story. <laughs> and the way he expressed his, we'll, we'll call it attention at this point, <laughs> uh, for Barbie was to keep a notebook of where she was at every moment of every day. Slightly creepy. Right, this, is not, this is not teaching you how to date, just to be clear. But, but he was mindful of her, and when he started dating her and that they did get married, um, part of it was just his way of expressing, I am thinking about you, I'm writing these things down. Paul is thinking about the Colossians. It sounds so simple, but, but it's hard to do to stop and think about someone else. It takes a lot of work to look at the life of someone else. Right? So, when you think about them, as followers of Jesus, one of the ways to love all the saints is to say, thank God that he is working in other people. And, and I want to tell them that I see fruit. I see that God is changing you. You're, you. 
you forgave. That's, that's great. That, you know, this should work in our homes, in our households, in our marriages, where we're turning to someone else and saying, thank you that you trusted Jesus with that today, because I was anxious. Uh, tell your kids, thank you for forgiving your brother or sister, because that was what Jesus calls us to do. That, that's God working in you. And I can speak as a, your pastor for the last four years. I'm thankful for your faith, for the family we have. I mean, the way we hang out after service now compared to when we did four years ago, right? People are still here an hour, hour and a half after. That's evidence that the gospel is bearing fruit in our love for one another. Right? And so Paul's doing these things as he writes the letter and introduces himself. He's, he's trying to show them he loves them. I am thankful God is working. That you love all the saints. And so this, this may be a challenge for you. Because right? if the first thing that comes to your mind about church is a mess, is, is hurt, is pain, um, sure, that's true. <laughs> we're a mess, we're sinners. But one of the things the gospel is doing is pulling us together to teach us how to love one another. And Paul's going to get more explicit in the letter, but he's starting here. Right? If one of the ways you can love all the saints, spend time cross-generationally, the old and young together, the sick and healthy spending time together, the Jew and Gentile and the Colossians are spending time together, slaves and masters, rich and poor, you know, all those things, right? different people following Jesus loving one another, as we just talked about. Right? That's, that's what's supposed to come to mind when you think about the church, to love her, because Jesus loves them. So, point one, that's the first test. Take some time and ask, am I thankful for other Christians? Uh, Paul's, Paul's helping us learn how to do that. Thank God for their love, thank God for their hope, thank God for their faith, because that once was not true. This is something new. Second point, and this is, this is where it gets really cool, is, is Paul is going to, sh he's going to help explain to the Colossians what happened when they became Christians. So a second test of gratitude, what will make you more grateful and thankful and have it overflow from your heart, it's asking you, are you thankful for the power of the gospel that came to you? You love all the saints. You trust Jesus. I mean, you look at this. It says uh, in verse 5, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. All right. So Paul says, I am thrilled that you trust Jesus. I am thrilled. I am thankful that you, you love people who are different than you. There aren't, you aren't playing favorites in your church. I love, you know, I'm grateful that you have hope and that you have trusted and rested in the fact that your hope is the fact that Jesus will come and bring the new creation someday. You're, it's stored up in heaven for you. I'm, I'm glad these things are true of you. And then he says, this is, because the gospel has borne fruit in your life. Right. So that's the second test. Be, are you thankful for the gospel? Are you aware of, of the way to talk about what happened when you believed, when you trusted, uh, when, you, when you love somebody, that is evidence of fruit. Right. So 
Here's what happened to the Colossians. This is a good way to, to dive in. It says, they first heard the gospel, the word of truth, from a guy named Epaphras, just a, past, a pastor like me. That someone came to them, told them the, the true story of the world. It's, the, it's a true word. It's a word of truth. The gospel, it's not just a philosophy. It's not just wishful thinking. This is history. And the, the story, part of the story, the narrative, is that God created this world. He created human beings to rule in partnership with God as loving lords of the earth, imitating the God who first loved them. But everyone, like Adam, the first human being, have chosen to do things their own way, demanding that God and the world serve us. We're sinners. Right? So they heard the gospel message in some form or another. That everybody, the Colossians at some point were told, you have not lived your life saying thank you to God for who you are and everything you have. You've ignored him. You've, you've just left him alone. He said, no, thank you. You've just said, God, give me, all, give me your gifts and I don't want you. Because the problem of what's wrong with people is we're, I can call this, I call it this, we're cosmic plagiarizers. I know saying, saying thank you seems such a small thing, but to not say thank you is to be a plagiarizer. Right? You, you, know, you remember what plagiarism is from school, right? Where you claim someone else's work for your own. Uh, it's a problem even in seminary, future pastors. Um, because to claim someone else's work as your own is to steal, to take credit. A footnote is a thank you. Someone else did work that I didn't do. See, when you live without a heartfelt, real thank you to God who made us, designed us, gave us particular gifts and abilities, who caused us to be born in a particular place in a particular time, we're in America, we have clean water, we live in a war zone, we have money in our bank accounts, all these things, right? Even if you have the strongest work ethic, if you were born in the 12th century or the 10th century in Madagascar, you would still be a rice farmer, unless you were a king. And it wouldn't matter how hard you work, that wouldn't change. It is God's will and grace that you are here. So to not acknowledge God is to take everything he's done for you and me and say, I did it. I did it my way. That's plagiarism. Taking credit for something you didn't do. And so when the Colossians heard that word of truth, the gospel, right, I'm saying it in a modern way, but that God created the world, that every human being has fallen, that something's wrong with us, we're impossibly and continually ungrateful to God despite knowing there's a creator. But God sent Jesus down into the world to deliver us from the domain of darkness, to transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son, to give us redemption, to give us the forgiveness of sins. The Colossians said, I'm going to follow that Jesus who loved me and gave himself up for me to death on a cross. They believed. And they became new creations. And so the second test is, is really asking you, do you understand how thankful you ought to be, not just for who you are, not just for your existence and your breathing and your job skills and your personality and your temperament, all those things you like about you and other people like about you, but to be thankful that the gospel is changing you. Right? It'll help you say thank you. Because look at the metaphor. Uh, I didn't even bring my, I completely forgot I was going to bring up Bring a visual aid here, but the metaphor is the gospel is bearing fruit. Because Paul says, here's why you love one another, here's why you trust in Jesus, here's why you have hope. Right? Faith 
and love spring from the hope that you have trusted. But even that is fruit. Right? The gospel is bearing fruit in their lives and elsewhere. So just let this insult every ounce of self-reliance that you have. Jesus is telling you, your faith, your love, your hope, everything you get right as a Christian is fruit of God working in you. It's a gift. It's evidence that, that God has come to you. I mean, why else would you thank God for someone else's faith other than God has worked it into their lives? Unless God gave those particular gifts to those particular Christians. Right? So just picture an apple tree. Maybe this will help. When you see an apple tree with apples on it, what do you, what do you see evidence of? You're, you're seeing that it's a healthy tree, that the, the fruit is connected to the life-giving tree. Right? And I meant to bring an apple and a plant. We were going to try and uh, make our own apple tree, but just imagine I had an apple. Yeah, kids, you can tell me if this is going to work. If, if I just staple an apple to this tree, which is plastic, by the way, <laughs> right? Do we have a fruit tree? What's going to happen to the fruit? It, yeah, it's going to rot. It's not going to be healthy. It's not going to be... You can't make a fruit tree just by forcing fruit on the tree. Right? You have to be organically connected to the life-giving tree. Right? I mean, so you see the power of what Paul is saying when he says, your faith, your love, your hope is fruit. He's saying that you have been connected to something, a power, a life-giving power, and that is bearing fruit. The apple, all the apple has to do is say thank you to the tree for all the work it's done. Right? The fruit shows up. The gospel, Jesus, <laughs> is bearing fruit. Right? So it's, it's telling you don't try and be good without believing the gospel. Because that's not how that works. Right? If, if you just go and, I'm a parent, right? And we're always telling our kids what to do. Um, right? That's what they told us, I have chores. <laughs> if I tell my kids, you need to forgive, we're teaching them a pattern, but it doesn't, it's not going to make them a forgiving person. Right? If I just tell them that you need to use kind words, Unless that flows out of their faith in Jesus connected to the tree, just, we're going to teach them to be apple staplers. And it's not going to be real fruit. Yeah. See, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. When you trust Jesus, when, when you rely and in the, your despair that Jesus will one day write all these things, right, they're all fruit that the gospel is working in your life. And so whatever good God has given you, whatever hope you have in your suffering, whatever faith you have, if it's as small as a mustard seed or as mighty to move mountains, to do things that you didn't think you could ever do by yourself, whatever love you have for other Christians, that's fruit. And Paul shows us that the way to respond to that is, thank you. God, you are working in my life. All right, so... Some of you might remember that, that astounding picture of forgiveness that went viral last year when, when uh, Brant Jean, this young man uh, whose brother was killed by an off-duty cop who accidentally went into the wrong apartment and panicked, right? 
And you remember, in the courtroom, this young man looked at his brother's killer and said, I forgive you. I want the best for you. Right. Something praiseworthy. But that, that is also evidence that is fruit of the gospel that Jesus has worked deeply in that young man's heart, even as he's trying to figure out what in the world just happened and what he said. Right. So That's fruit. That's one way it could bear. It could be really dramatic. But it could also be, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to trust that my God is a good father, and I'm not going to be anxious over my bills. Five years ago, I would have freaked out and been anxious all week. But now, I can wake up, feel that anxiety in the pit of my gut, and I would say, nope, God is my father. I'm going to trust him. Right? That's fruit. You're, that's faith. It's growing. It's increasing. But it's still fruit, which gets you to say, thank you. Right. You can push this a little bit further. So I want you to see what Paul is, has in his imagination. He's a biblical teacher. He, he loves the Bible. Verse 6 really is, right, this whole idea of bearing fruit and increasing in the world and in the Colossians' lives is the, the heart of this sentence. That's what Paul's focusing on. And it's, it's a direct reference to Genesis 1.28. I got a picture that I think Mike's going to put up behind me. Because um, I want you to see, I'm not just making this up. Paul is thinking about and using the exact same words from Genesis 1.28. What Jesus is doing in the world is he's creating a new humanity, people who, who trust Jesus, who love one another, and who love God. And it's completely different. Teaching you to be fully human. All right, so you can see that language, Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful, be fruitful, increase, increase. Uh, bear fruit, fill the earth. So that's what Adam was told to do. Right? So when, when Adam and Eve were made, the very first human beings, they were told to be fruitful, multiply, fill, and increase the earth with other human beings like them who love God and love one another. Except they chose not to love God. And Adam, this is what he did, he filled the earth with images of ungrateful human beings who did not love God or love other people. The very first human born, Cain, killed his brother, Abel. Right? We don't get along well. And though they knew God, they did not give thanks to him. And so one of the things that Paul is doing and trying to show us through this comparison that Jesus is better, is a better Adam. He's, he's, he's putting his own image on how to love people into the world. He's bearing fruit. Right? It's saying God has started a new creation, a better Adam, and God is working to fill the earth with Jesus' followers who have faith, who have love for all the saints, who have hope that is stored up for them in heaven. And it's fruit. It's, it's happening. God is doing this, what Adam couldn't do. And you, see, you see that biblical theology? It's a biblical connection, and it's trying to get your imagination. Just go home and think about this. <laughs> God is doing in Jesus what no human being could ever do, which is change people's hearts uh, to get them to love one another and to love God and say thank you. It's astounding. So, you can take the picture away. It gives you something to think about and, and, and meditate on this week. Again, even that is a picture. What is God up to in the world? He is going to, he's going to work in your life to trust Jesus, uh, to 
to learn how to love one another. Colossians 3 is going to teach us how to do that. And, and then also, how do you live in the idea that heaven's already done and waiting for me, and it's not up to me to be good to get it. It's already a gift. It's hope stored up for you in heaven. Right? So in conclusion, tie all these things together. There's two tests. Are you thankful for other people? And have you seen that the gospel is, from gra- is grace from beginning to end? It's, it's every opportunity you have, every victory you have, every small success you have is an opportunity to say thank you. <laughs> and that'll, as we said, it'll make you happier. Uh, it'll build faith. It'll cultivate love for one another. Right? It's a test. Is the gospel working or do you see yourself are you living like you need to staple fruit onto the tree that is you? Right. It, will, it won't last. It's going to rot. It won't be organic. It won't be natural. Right. So are you thankful for God's work in others? Or are you thankful for God's work in you and around the world? He's teaching you to pray. Now, how do you do that? And this is the conclusion. How do you become a thankful person who's patient, that's next week's sermon, uh, how do you really grow in faith and hope and love? Right, listen to Paul's logic. You understood the gospel of grace, the word of truth. Right, that's how it began, and that's how it's going to continue. They heard the word of truth, the gospel, in verse 5. They understood how gracious God was. And then the... the Synonym in verse 6 at the end, he says also, you heard it, you understood the grace of God in truth. It's a gospel and grace of God, they go together. Which means, if you're not bearing fruit, if you're not increasing, if you're struggling to love the church, if you're struggling to just be a Christian, in whatever particular point that is you, Paul says, you must be forgetting something in the gospel. You're not understanding the grace of God in truth. You're missing out on the power. Right? So just take that phrase in verse 5. The hope laid up for you in heaven. It's language that God has put your hope in heaven and it's stored there. It's saved for you. It is protected from anything that, that, that is connected to you. It's just there waiting to come down for you. Right? It's the idea that there's a crown waiting for you. There's infinite joy. There's, well, the new creation is coming, and it's protected for you, ready to give it to you when you finish the race. It's just stored there waiting, right? I mean, think about Christmas and how it works, right? For our kids, we, we hide all the presents, and, and then their hope is stored away waiting for that day when we will give it to them. It has nothing to do with them. We just want to give it to them. That's their hope. Right? Hope isn't a feeling, it's, it's a certain reality of what will come. And so, if you're not changing, if you're struggling with, with despair, part of what Paul is saying, look at the grace of just this whole idea of hope. It's stored up for you, it's waiting. It's a sure and certain knowledge that Jesus will bring new order to all of creation. Sorrow and sighing will flee, your tears will, will be wiped away, those desires that rage into you and you just can't get rid of them and they're unhealthy and you just hate yourself, that will be obliterated. One day as you see Jesus, you will be like him and you will live fully human lives, loving every human being that Jesus has recreated. Right? We'll be in a world of love 
and a new creation. That's our hope. And it's a gift. So if you're not changing, meditate on the hope that Jesus has given you. That draws you in and say, I want that Jesus. And what does it look like to go back to the gospel to change? Well, here's what it's going to feel like. And this is what happened for you and to you. Listen, Jesus, Jesus in John 12. Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See what happened? This is Paul's part of what he's explaining here and what Jesus is talking about. It's through one seed, Jesus, the only human being who ever loved God perfectly, who kept all of his commandments, who loved, loved all the saints. All right. He died because that's the only way for a seed to bear fruit. Because in one seed, there lies a power to, to forest the whole planet. Right? I mean, you think about it that way. One seed grows a tree. A tree bears more, more fruit. The, falls, the seeds fall down and more trees grow. Right? There's a power in that seed who is Jesus that was unleashed in the world only when he died in love for sinners. That it's out of love for the future harvest, us, the church, that Jesus, the grain, died for you so that you might be fruitful and increase. Because it's from that one death that hope that springs our faith, love for the saints, Jesus teaches us, and hope. See how that works? So if you want to become a person who trusts Jesus, who wants to bear fruit, who wants to love other people, you know what it's going to look like and feel like? It's going to feel like you're dying to love other people. There's no other way to do it because how else are you going to spend time with someone different than you than to give up your own priorities? to give up your own thoughts about you and think about someone else. It, it feels like dying. But that's actually what love does. It causes you to sacrifice for the good of another, to give out so that someone else might bear fruit. And when you do that, that's actually you bearing fruit, modeling and receiving the gift of grace to begin with. So, in conclusion, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when, when we pray for you. Grateful for your faith, for the love you have for all the saints that flows out of the hope that Jesus has stored away for you in heaven. And when you realize that it is all of grace from first to last, the fruit that you are bearing, you will actually bear more fruit. So go and learn what that means. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, we just say thank you. Thank you for the ways that you have intercepted intervene and, and uh, attached us by grace uh, to Jesus who helps us love one another, who has loved us so much that you've taken away all accusation, all condemnation, you have forgiven us. And so I just pray for hope that we would be a place that, that does that, that we, we are a people who, who are known for our faith in Christ, known for the way we love one another and able to articulate very clearly the hope that you have given us in Jesus. So may your spirit work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.